so happy that you've connected with us here today. Every generation, I think, that has ever lived has had some of those moments in history where you could ask the question, where were you when a certain thing happened, right? Where were you when JFK was assassinated or Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.? Where were you on 9-11? And for this generation, I'm convinced this year and the events of this year is going to be one of those moments where they're gonna be able to talk to each other and relate to those coming behind them. Where were you when the world shut down for a worldwide pandemic? This year has been unlike any other. The term used over and over again, unprecedented, right? It has truly been unprecedented. There have been things similar to this before in history, but in our lifetime, this is going to be one of those moments that everybody talks about in the years to come. And, and we don't even know yet exactly when we're going to be past it, when we're going to be beyond it. And that's one of the things that makes it so significant. It struck without warning. And, and it's left us with a lot of uncertainties. I mean, you know what's on the list for this year, right? Let, let's think about it. We've been living it for almost a year now. Global pandemic, economic recession, mass unemployment, political division, cultural upheaval, racial reckoning, record wildfires, tornadoes, hurricanes, and floods. Did I miss anything? I mean, it's been crazy, hasn't it? It is truly a year unlike any other in our lifetime. There was a new word added to our lexicons this year uh, that really didn't exist before this year. And I didn't really see much of it until I saw a report about it. It's the word doom scrolling. Any of you heard of that word? Doom scrolling. Uh, D-O-O-M scrolling. It refers to how we often will have our phones out or our laptops open and we'll be scrolling through our social media feed just looking at the headlines. And this year, almost all of them have been what? Negative, doom-oriented, doom-themed headlines over and over again. Now, that's always been a little bit true because bad news gets a lot of attention. But especially now with the prevalence of social media, doom-scrolling has become very, very prevalent. And it was added to our lexicon this year as an official word now, doom-scrolling. I hope we've learned not to get too caught up in that. I hope we've learned not to let ourselves get too captivated by just scrolling through and looking at those bad headlines because here's what it does, and it is doing it to our culture, it creates depression. And, and psychologists are telling us that low-grade depression is now the top bad consequence of the pandemic. It is having more bad health effects than anything else, even the virus itself, because it is so widespread. Even people who never get the virus are dealing with this low-grade depression in their lives because of how everything has changed because of the pandemic. Well, it's a good thing we made it to here. It's a good thing we made it to this place that we're at today. Because I'm not here to try to bring you down. I'm here to try to give you hope. In the middle of all of this, Advent 
is all about hope. And we have entered into what is often called the Advent season. The word Advent means coming or arrival of someone or something that was highly anticipated. That's really what Christmas is all about. The advent of something that people had longed for, for years. Had eagerly anticipated and hoped for, for centuries before it happened. That's Advent. It's a season that, that is, looks past Christmas. It actually looks at past and present and future. Advent looks back at the promise God gave that he would send the Messiah, right? That, that he would come, that he would appear when God's timing was right, when everything was historically set the way God wanted it to be for the appearing of the Messiah. It would happen. So it looks back to those promises and that period of longing and waiting for it to come. It also looks at the present, how we now have the blessing and the benefit of the fact that he has arrived, that he has come, that he's here with us today. Emmanuel, right? God with us. That's the period we're living in now. But it also looks ahead because we have an anticipation of and a waiting for the return of Christ, the advent of the second coming where God restores everything and puts it back as he intended it to be before we messed it up. Remember the saying around here, given enough time and opportunity, what can we do? We can mess it up. And God gave us this perfect creation that he, he, he put us in and we messed it up, but God had a plan even before we messed it up, knowing that we would, that the advent of the Savior would come and through the Savior, everything would be made right again. It's sad that far too often our Christmas season is not about Advent. We get so harried and frenzied and, and concerned and wrapped up in all of the trappings that we've added to the Advent, don't we? And, and they're not bad things. They're not evil things. The decorations I spent some time decorating this week, and uh, yesterday we had some pretty good weather, and I did a little more decorating yesterday. I enjoyed doing that. I love, the I, I love, I want to thank our staff who decorated the auditorium here, and the guys down at Smyrna dec decorated down there, and I know it looks really good, but you know, the decorations come down after Christmas, right? And, and, and for me, that's a sad time because everything goes back to a little more bland look again. I, I just as soon leave it up all the time. But if we left it up all the time, it would lose the wonder, wouldn't it? But we get caught up in the decorating and we get caught up in the buying, the choosing the gifts, making sure everybody's got the right gift. And if it were left up to me, gift cards would be the only thing anybody ever got, right? My wife is the one who, who really works on, you know, trying to pick a gift that works for this person or that person. And she's so good at it. I tell her that all the time because I don't want to do it. <laughs> I really do not want to get involved in that. But she loves that part of it. But sometimes it can get overwhelming, can it? As we've gotten older, our family's gotten bigger. So now we've got not only our kids, but we've got grandkids and we've got, of course, everybody has extended family, depending on how many of them you get gifts for and exchange gifts with. And boy, it can get overwhelming, can it? Advent is supposed to be a time of preparation for the coming of something wonderful. And too many times we miss that. 
And so in this series, we're going to try to refocus and rediscover Christmas again and what it's really supposed to be about. We need to place our focus on a far greater story than just our Christmas this year in the middle of a pandemic. That's that's bad. And we'll, we'll talk about that and we'll deal with that. But we need to focus on something beyond that, something bigger than that this Advent season. It's the story of God's redeeming love for all of mankind. That's Advent. It's the story of God's restoring love for all of us, even though we've sinned and caused a division between us and God and our relationship with Him. Advent is about putting it back together again and the extent that God went to to do that. So in this season, we're going to try to dig deep into the reality of what it means that God sent his son here. He sent his son for us and for the world, Emmanuel, God with us. So wherever you are right now on your level of 2020 anxiety, I want to invite you to experience Advent in a way maybe you've never done before. To rediscover Christmas with us together. See, I believe we've been given a gift this year that keeps us from doing our normal thing every Christmas that we've always done. We can't do the exact same thing we used to do every Christmas. So it forces us to refocus. The problem is, will we we refocus on the right things or the wrong things? Will we make it a negative thing where we're just grieving what we don't have? Or will we make it a positive thing when we recognize the gift we've actually been given in Christ in Advent? So in this four-week series, we're going to be starting today with hope that Christ came to bring us hope. And we're going to try to rediscover the hope that we need to have. But also over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the peace and the joy and the love that God was sending on Christmas Eve. We're going to celebrate together the the arrival, the advent of that child that would come to be the Messiah. Today, we're going to be rediscovering the hope of Christmas, even when we're surrounded by such uncertainty during this pandemic. As we explore these themes of advent over these few weeks, we are going to look at some characters in the Christmas story in Scripture. And how each of those characters and their their situations speak to those subjects of, of hope and peace, the subjects of joy and love. And we're going to start today, uh, as I often do, in a little different place than normal. Uh, normally, when we talk about the Christmas story, we start way back with the announcement maybe to Mary or something like that. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit to uh, a different account. And look at some characters that we don't often even focus on very much in the Christmas story. If you got your Bibles or your smartphone or tablet, be pulling up Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 22. We're going to look at Simeon and Anna. But before we get to them, I want to give you a little bit of the background of the setting of what we're talking about when Christ came into the world. Of all the times that God could pick to send the Messiah, and remember, he he was in control of this. He could have sent Jesus here to be born at any moment in history, and he picked this particular moment in history when Israel was in a terrible situation. Ever since the time of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they had been looking forward to this Messiah that God had promised that he was going to come and bring them hope and, and victory, and they were going to be celebrating, and It had been thousands of years since Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You know what's happened to them over those years? 
they've been conquered, defeated by foreign powers. The Syrians, the Babylonians. And now we pick up at a time where they've been conquered and are, uh, had been conquered by the Greeks and now the Romans are ruling over them. They are actually almost like captives in their own land under the rule of a barbaric, mean-spirited, often violent regime of the Roman government. I know we think we've got it bad this year with our pandemic, and, and we do. There are a lot of bad things connected with it. We don't want to act like that's not true. It is. But those people at the time Christ was born, those people of God were facing terrible conditions and had been for many hundreds of years before Jesus is born. And yet, they were holding on to that promise that God was going to do what he said. That God was going to bring their deliverer, their Messiah. They were living in a period of hope. Even with all the terrible conditions they were facing. There was still that hope that they had heard about, that they had been taught year after year, that they had been reminded of with their, their scripture readings and their, and their times of worship in the temple and the tabernacle and, and, and then, and then the, the, the leading of, of the elders of their land. They had been reminded over and over again, God made this promise that the Messiah was coming. But because it had been so long, their cry had become, how long, oh God, are you going to let us keep suffering like this? How long before the Messiah really comes? And here we are, not even a full year into the pandemic, and we're already crying out, how long, oh God, right? Not even a year yet of the suffering that we're going through. And they've been suffering like that for many hundreds of years. Was there a reason to still have hope after all of that? Was there still a spark of hope left smoldering in their mind, in their hearts? Well, the account we're looking at today tells us that there was. Let's look at Luke's account from Luke 2, beginning with verse 22, and look at Simeon and Anna. Luke 2, pick up with verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Spoiler alert, Christ has already been born when we pick up here, okay? Say, I'm starting down the road a little bit here. Christ has already been born. In fact, most scholars believe he's now 40 days old when they go to the temple to present him. And Mary goes, it's not just for the baby, what they're doing here. It's also for Mary. There was a, uh, there a law that said that after the birth of a baby, there was a period of purification for the woman before she was going to the temple and presenting sacrifices there for that purification before God. And so they're going to fulfill the law there. That's what they're doing. They do exactly what the law said that they were supposed to do. So it says in verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, if you go back and read the law, it's saying that they could come bringing two doves or pigeons for the sacrifice. The law actually said it was two lambs unless you were a very poor family. And then you could do doves or pigeons. Pigeons don't get any respect, do they? 
We don't like pigeons. They mess up our statues, right? They, they mess up the sidewalk. We don't, we don't like pigeons. But you, you have a pigeon that's solid white, and what do you have? A dove. We love doves, don't we? We just love doves. We think they're great. A dove's just a pigeon that's white. That's all. It's nothing different. So here we have an indication that Mary and Joseph were poor. They were a struggling family. They were going through a lot of suffering themselves at the hands of the Roman government. They had had to travel to Bethlehem, remember, to, for the birth because they had to register for the taxes. They, they were worn out, I'm sure, at this point, just 40 days after the birth. And now they're having to go back to the temple now in Jerusalem for this keeping of the law that they needed to keep. Verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. You hear those descriptions of Simeon? Righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. What does that mean? Some translations, it's hard to understand. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. What that's talking about is the promise that God had made a long time ago, thousands of years before that he was going to send a Messiah. And here is Simeon, thousands of years later, at the temple, serving, hoping, looking, longing for the consolation of Israel. He goes on. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Can you imagine the excitement? that this man lived with after that revelation. After all those years, after all that time, and he's an old man now, but the Spirit had revealed to him that before he died, he would see God keep his promise, that his hope was not wasted, that it was going to be fulfilled, that the hope of all of Israel was going to be fulfilled before he died. Now, he didn't know exactly when, but he had been promised it would be before his death. It says here that, uh, verse 27, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts where the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, listen to Simeon's words, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, he had that hope God was going to keep his promise. He says, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. What's he saying? He said, I can die happy now. You can take me on home. I've seen what I've been looking for, hoping for, longing for all of my life. This is amazing. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Did you catch that? He even understands, even though most of the Israel uh, did not understand this, that this coming Messiah was not just for Israel. This coming Messiah was for all people, Gentiles and Jews alike. Simeon understood that where most did not. He had that insight and that fulfillment of that hope. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. I mean, can you imagine you're bringing your baby there just to do what the law required, and here you've got this old guy there that's speaking out this prophecy over him? 
It says, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Uh, there was also some prophetic words concerning what was going to happen to this child that was going to just crush Mary's heart. Of course, he's speaking of the crucifixion. Mary having to witness her son being beaten, spit on and nailed to a cross to bleed and die there. Any mother could tell you that loves their child how that would pierce their soul to watch their child be treated like that. Verse 36, there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband uh, seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. So there's this 84-year-old prophet, Anna, who was there. She never left the temple but worshiped day and night, fasting and praying, coming up to them at the very moment, at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of of Jerusalem. Wow. The experience there that Luke write, that Luke records for us. The experience of Mary and Joseph witnessing Simeon and Anna speaking these things over that child so shortly after the child was born not only revealed the hope of Simeon and Anna, but can you imagine the kind of hope and excitement and anticipation it put into the hearts of Mary and Joseph. It didn't answer all their questions. They didn't know everything that was going to happen. But I want you to notice something about Simeon and Anna. They didn't seem surprised at all when Mary and Joseph showed up with the baby, did they? They didn't seem surprised at all when they realized right away, when they realized right away this baby is the Messiah. It's like they were expecting it, isn't it? Now think back on the rest of the Christmas story. Mary, how did God reveal what was going to happen to Mary? An angel appeared to her, right? Joseph, how did they convince Joseph to go along with the plan? An angel spoke to Joseph. The shepherds out in the field when the baby was born, how did they convince the shepherds? What happened? Angels appeared to the shepherds. Even the wise men, it wasn't angels, but what did God do for them? That star in the sky, right? That special star that appeared. Anna and Simeon didn't get any of that. I don't think it was necessary. You know why it wasn't necessary? Because they were already filled with the Spirit and letting the Spirit lead and guide and direct them. And they were looking for, anticipating this event their whole lives. The reason I bring that up is this. I'm convinced that we miss a lot of what God is doing in our lives, in us and around us, because we're not looking for it. We're caught up in the pandemic. We're caught up in the financial problems. We're caught up in the struggles in our family. We're caught up in our health concerns. And we're not anticipating God keeping his promises. We're not even looking for him to keep his promises to us. We're not even expecting that he's going to. And that's why we can get so depressed and so discouraged and so confused about what's happening and why is this happening to me, God, without even anticipating God being faithful to his promises. When we do that, it causes us to lose the joy of the anticipation 
that God is faithful to every one of us. And he's never going to leave us or forsake us. He's going to keep every promise that he's ever made. It's like Anna and Simeon are both saying, of course God came through. We knew he would. There was no doubt in our mind. He promised it, so he was going to do it. God keeps his promises. That's the kind of God he is. Is that how we think of God in the middle of the pandemic? Is that how we think of God in the middle of our struggles? Is that our witness? Simeon and, Simeon and Anna, I think, reveal several things about the hope God wants us to have and the power that we can take away and apply in our lives here. Three things about that hope that I want us to look at very quickly. The first one is this. This kind of hope sees beyond the here and now. It sees beyond the here and now. Hope is the fuel of faith, of dreams, possibilities. It's like that whisper in the back of your mind. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe, yeah. This could be. God, yeah, he could do this. He said he would. It, yeah, it's possible. We don't need to lose sight of the fact that God, God's still there. He's still at work. Hope causes us to, to have that anticipation that just because things are the way they are right now, it doesn't mean they're going to stay that way. And it doesn't mean God's not there. And it doesn't mean he's not working even when we don't see it or feel it at the moment. That's what hope does for us. It gets us to look beyond the immediate bad things that we may be dealing with. Hope can still live in our deepest pain and our, and our most hopeless circumstances that we find ourselves in. Hope can still cause us to, to move forward and look beyond where we are right now. Romans 8 is a well-known chapter in the Bible, and there's a passage there that I think often gets overlooked, but it begins, Romans 8, 1 says this. It says, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? I love that. And then he talks about how, how God has been working, our relationship with God's children, what it looks like to, to be a child of God. But then he shifts to our future when God's going to fulfill his work in us and restore all of creation. Look at verse 24 to 26 of Romans 8. He says, for in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. I love the way that's worded. Let me re uh, read part of that again. Hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? You see, hope is all about something you hold on to even when you don't see yet the fulfillment of it. Uh, it's closely related to faith, right? Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the assurance or the guarantee of things hoped for, longed for, right? It's the guarantee of things not yet seen. Does that mean because you don't see it now, there's no reason to have hope? Of course not, because you know the one in whom you have your hope. You know his faithfulness. You know his power. You know his provision. You know his care for you. So you can hope even when you don't see it yet. You can hold on to hope. The pandemic's bad, yes. You lost a job, yes. Whatever the struggle, there can still be hope. I included the beginning of verse 26 in that passage. It says this, remember, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses because it leads to the second attribute of hope I want us to see from Simeon and Anna. 
And that is, hope is God with us. That's what it boils down to. As Christians, we so often forget the presence of the Spirit of God living in us, always. And we so misunderstand the Spirit and His role. The Spirit is God in spirit form. And so in the middle of the pandemic, what power is still in us during that? The Bible says the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in us. Can there be hope in a pandemic? Yeah. Can there be hope when you get a call you never wanted to get? Something tragic has happened to someone you love or care about? Yeah. Can there be hope when you or somebody you love gets that diagnosis that looks like there's no answer for it? You see, there can be hope because God is with us. That was the whole idea behind the promise of the Messiah is that God would come himself to be with us. That he cared enough, that he, that he wanted that relationship with us enough that he would come here himself for us. And Jesus Christ, the Bible says, if you've seen, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I came personally for you. And then he said, I'm going back to the Father, but I'm not going to leave you like orphans. What was he going to do? I'm going to send my spirit here to be with you, all of you, all the time. You see, he wanted to give us hope in the middle of everything that we're facing. It's a hope that, that is filling the lives of Anna and Simeon, even though they're living in terrible circumstances at the time. They had seen all kinds of terrible things, living under the, the reign and the rule of Rome their whole lives. The people of God didn't have their own identity anymore except the claim they had of the hope of the Messiah. But they lived with that hope. And we can too. His Spirit helps us to restore hope by reminding us of God's faithfulness and His promises. He leads us into the Word. Remember, the Word is the sword of the Spirit. And in God's Word, we have reminder after reminder after reminder of promises made and promises kept by God. And the more we can be reminded of that, the easier it is to hold on to our hope, isn't it? You know some of these passages. There's so many of them, like Jeremiah 29, 11. You know this verse, right? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future, right? Can't you hear hope springing from that verse? That's the promise of God. Another one is found in Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Don't you hear the hope leaping out of the pages when you read that? That's the hope we have today. Only now we have the further assurance that God kept the promise of sending the Messiah here for us. It's been done now. And he's given us now his spirit to dwell with us until he comes back again so that we could have our hope. Our God is with us every step of the way. And that leads to the third attribute of hope I want to close with today, and that is this. 
that hope inspires us to carry on through everything. To not give up. To not quit. The Apostle Paul described the cycle of hope like this in Romans 5, beginning with verse 2. Because of Jesus, he says, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And listen to what he says. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This hope that he gives us through the presence of his spirit does not put us to shame. It does not let us down. It will not disappoint us if we just hold on to it. If we just hold on to it. Never let go of the hope that God gives you. There's a great story that came out of the pandemic. I really had not seen it until a little while back. I saw a news report about this guy that they called Captain Tom. Captain Sir Tom Moore, since he was knighted by the Queen recently, is a 100-year-old man who single-handedly raised $40 million for the British health care system. I don't know if you saw the story or not. Here's what he did. Uh, He walked 100 laps around his garden at the age of 100, one lap for every year that he'd been on this earth. His son-in-law had challenged him that he would donate $1 to that fund for every lap he would walk. Actually, it was the equivalent of English pounds he committed for every lap that he walked around his garden. Only it didn't stop there. His daughter saw what he was doing, videoed him walking out there with a walker, with, he is a World War II veteran. He had his uniform on with his medals that he had won serving in the military and sent it out to this charity. And this charity shared it, and it became a worldwide phenomenon. And $40 million ended up being donated because he walked those 100 laps around the garden. What an inspiring thing, right? But it's more than that. There's a great lesson about hope in the story. Listen to what he told reporters when they interviewed him. He said this, the first step was the hardest. After that, I got into the swing of it and just kept going. Did you catch that? The first step was the hardest. Isn't that true of a lot of things for us? The first step is the hardest. The first step after something terrible has happened It's hard to lift our downcast, tear-filled eyes in the middle of the moment, the crisis that we face, in the middle of the pain that we feel like is swallowing us up. But if we could just take that first step back toward hope, the hope that God is reaching out to give you, you can keep going. You can take the next step and the next step. And then you learn the faithfulness of God and keeping his promises to you. If you just keep taking the next step and the next step, not losing your hope. It can feel so impossible to take that first step toward hope when you're weighed down by the burdens. But when we focus on the power of hope embodied in the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and the promise of his return, when you hold on to that and let that 
empower you. It enables you to take that step one step at a time in that hope that God has that he's given you and he's given me. Hope inspires us. It emboldens us. It builds upon hope so that we can keep on going no matter what. So here's the question. What is the next step of hope that you need to take today? What's the next step of hope that you've been needing to take maybe for a while through this Advent season? So often we as humans in our human nature, we want to know, well, God, how are you going to fix it, right? We want to know now. Well, if I do go forward, what's going to happen then, right? That's, we want to know that already. But you see, hope doesn't see that. That's why it's hope. If you could see that, there wouldn't be hope. You wouldn't need hope anymore. God wants you to take the step in hope, not in sight, right? In faith, not in sight. You take the next step. In the hope that God is a promise-keeping God. And I hope that God is a loving, caring God who has already sent Jesus here for us. In this Advent season, we can find hope in the arrival and the life of Jesus. And we can draw hope from God's faithfulness and fulfilling all of his promises as we read his word. And we look at history and see God's faithfulness all throughout the ages. Then we can have hope without seeing how he's going to do it. The other side of the pandemic, God's got it in his hands. The other side of the crisis that you're facing, God's already got it taken care of. Here's what you need to know about God. He was not surprised by a virus breaking out and, and going all over the world and causing this pandemic. He wasn't caught off guard by that. He already knew it. He wasn't caught off guard by the call you got that, that something terrible had happened to somebody you cared about. He wasn't surprised by that diagnosis from the doctor that you didn't ever want to hear. He's never been caught off guard by any of the problems or crises or challenges that we faced ever. He was prepared for it before it ever came about. And he already had a plan to give you hope in the future through it all. But you got to take that next step. You got to take that next step of putting your complete trust and faith and confidence and hope in God. My invitation to you is to take a step forward in hope this Advent season. To not get so caught up and mired in the pandemic and how everything's different and everything we've lost this year that we don't get to have, right? I understand all of that. I feel it too. Everybody does. Why don't we change our focus and put it on the hope that we have in Christ? The hope that we have that God has sent the Messiah. Christ has come. He's here with us now in his spirit. And he is returning again. So let's welcome him into our hearts this Advent season like never before. And let's move forward in hope. Let's pray together. My prayer for you is simply Romans 15, 13. It says this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.